I got Matt Norlander with me, and I'm having a good week. I'm certain he's having a good week, but the state of North Carolina is not having a good week. The NCAA announced it is moving uh, first-round games of the 2017 NCAA tournament from Greensboro in what amounts to a protest of North Carolina's HB2 bill. That was Monday night. Then earlier today, the ACC announced it's moving neutral site championships from the state in the 2016-17 academic year. That includes the ACC football championship game that was supposed to be played in Charlotte. Don't know where it's going to be played now, but we know it won't be in North Carolina. That, too, is what amounts to a protest of North Carolina's HB2 bill. Matt, you and I had talked about this um, several weeks back when it became clear that the NCAA was positioning itself uh, to possibly take a stand. Uh, I think we were both on record saying – Um, We thought it probably would take the stand and that we would applaud the NCAA if it did take the stand. Oh, well, here we are. Yeah, this, I think, has taken some people by surprise because they weren't expecting the NCAA and now the ACC to act this swiftly. I'm not surprised by this. Um, I think both organizations should be commended for this, although I will say the ACC... They could have done action earlier. They waited for the NCAA, and its commissioner, uh, John Swafford, was not as definitive previously as he could have been. But now, with the NCAA making the hard decisions first, uh, the ACC follows suit. It won't, by the way, affect men's basketball for the foreseeable future. This is a basketball podcast. Brooklyn has hosting duties for the ACC tournament this upcoming season, so in 2017, and again It will be at Barclays in 2018. Now, Carolina is on the docket for 2019 and 2020 for the men's basketball ACC tournament. I believe the women's tournament is actually scheduled for this year in Greensboro, so that's going to get moved as well. Um, So we'll see if men's basketball and the ACC will be affected by this or if the bill is repealed in time for that not to affect. My prediction is that it will be and that the ACC will wind up having its its, its, uh, conference tournaments in that state in 2019 and 2020, but uh, we could be a ways from that. Overall, yeah, a very big, meaningful week here in college sports. This was a uh, a primary topic leading nightly news uh, newscasts on Tuesday night. It will again, I would presume, here on Wednesday night. And from the NCAA standpoint, listen, it had sent out questionnaires to all potential cities hosting uh, NCAA tournament games, and there were certain... Uh, questions on those uh, applications, if you will, or post applications that kind of detailed these kinds of things. And the NCAA, which is not new to this stuff, by the way, we're going we're gonna to get more into this, I think, in a, in a little bit here. But this isn't a new thing for the NCAA to do its best to stand up. Now, there is some inherent irony and cynicism that goes along with this GP, but to stand up for, you know, basic equality and people can kill the NCAA if they want for not paying players and all that stuff. But uh, kind of one fruit in one hand and a different fruit in the other there, in my opinion. But it is long fought against you know, South Carolina having uh, an allegiance with the Confederate flag. That, uh, that stand against South Carolina lasted for a decade and a half. Uh, and that's just one, one example. There have been issues with the NCAA having objections to universities having 
mascots of Native American origins that they deemed inappropriate. And so um, there have been significant changes specifically with the University of Illinois, with uh, the University of North Dakota. And so this is just another one of those incidents where the NCAA says, listen, if you're going to have any sort of discriminatory actions toward uh, a certain section of people, we're not going to align ourselves with that. And so it has the power to, and it takes the tournament out of North Carolina. I think it's the right move. I also think people should take in mind how big these changes are given the time constraints at hand here. Uh, the football championship game with the ACC, and Stuart Mandel had a, had a tweet that I thought was absolutely dead on. He said that no state and conference are more synonymous with each other, basically, than North Carolina and the ACC. I think that's absolutely 100% accurate. I agree with so that. So this, this is a very meaningful step. And now you've got to get this football championship game, which is scheduled for early December, into a new spot. And there's so many mechanisms in place when you have these massive sporting events. I mean, we could spend a half hour running down all the technical difficulties that go into that kind of stuff. I believe that they've had contingencies in place maybe behind closed doors. Obviously, those things will be accelerated in a massive way with football. I'll just end with this before I throw it over to UGP. Basketball-wise, I did report some new information on Tuesday if people want an idea of what's in play here, the NCAA announced that it's taking the tournament out of Greensboro. Within hours, at least a half a dozen cities had reached out to the NCAA expressing interest in hosting as a replacement. Uh, the cities have until September 27th to get their applications and interests in, their pitches into the NCAA. The NCAA will announce on October 7th who is replacing Greensboro. We're going to find out pretty soon here, and that decision you know, for all intents and purposes, that decision will be made by the same people who are, you know, on the committee to select this year's field of 68. The men's basketball selection committee will be the ones that sign off on the city that will end up hosting uh, instead of Greensboro. It's been fascinating to watch this story, and I think most people know, but just in case they don't, it's not unique to the NCAA or to the ACC. The NBA uh, removed its All-Star game, 2017 All-Star game, out of Charlotte in protest of HB2. Um, countless artists have moved concerts out of North Carolina or canceled concerts in North Carolina. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, Pearl Jam, Ringo Starr, so on and so forth in what amounts to protest of HB2. Companies ha who were going to move there have decided not to move there in protest of HB2, and it has uh, cost the state literally hundreds of millions of dollars. There's one estimation I saw that said just the All-Star game not being there um, – you know, next year, this season, but in 2017, it, it will cost an estimation of $100 million to the state of North Carolina in terms of uh, the economic impact it would bring to the hotels and the restaurants and the bars and uh, the, the airport, uh, taxis, car services, Ubers, everything that goes on, uh, goes hand in hand with, with hosting an event of that magnitude all gone. Now, the NBA has said, um, get rid of this and we'll come back. And that is essentially what the NCAA has said as well. Also what the ACC has said as well. Um, but the governor is up for re-election in November. And I think he must have thought um, when they signed this into law that it would be something that helped him gain re-election. And now, you know, I just looked at all the – I don't follow North Carolina politics closely. Like why would I? But I have followed this um, – uh, this race and be, because it, it, it's having a real impact on sports, uh, particularly co collegiate sports. 
and he's losing in all the polls now uh, because uh, you know I, not even forty percent of of voters in that state are in favor of HB two. Um, barely half of Republicans are in favor of HB two. So he, even a lot of the Republicans aren't down with this anymore. And at some point, it's just got to be a business decision. Like um, you'd like to think that. Um, you'd recognize you were just misguided anyway and just do the right thing and get this discriminatory bill off of the books. But even if you can't see that for whatever reason, and like I've been on Facebook, I recognize there are people who can't see that for whatever reason. Um, at some point, you're just costing your state like hundreds of millions of dollars and you, you can't continue to take that economic hit. Yeah, it, and it's it's a massive one. Um, the NBA did kind of strike first among the sports world, and now the uh, taking the NCAA tournament, which is in North Carolina almost every single year. There have only been four years over the past decade and a half plus when a city in North Carolina, be it Greensboro, Charlotte, Raleigh, Winston-Salem, did not have hosting duties in the NCAA tournament. That's significant. Obviously, a football championship game being taken out of state borders is significant and I think those the significance of that and the symbolism behind it uh is you know extremely powerful this is honestly this is clearly become I've got friends in North Carolina um just the primary everyday topic uh it's it's become more of a topic than even the presidential race uh because the immediacy of all this that's that's happening I want to be clear with listeners and explain to them that the ACC right now is just taking 2016 2017 conference tournament championships off the table inside state borders that includes football men's and women's swimming and diving women's hoops men's and women's tennis women's golf men's golf baseball and women's soccer there's a lot that goes into moving those championships you got a lot of fall activities in there as well it'll be uh it'll be interesting to see what happens here because what's the timeline for repealing the bill when can it happen and when it does i would expect the ACC and the NCAA to go marching right back into North Carolina and continue to hold events there. Uh, GP, I suggested, and we're of differing opinions here, so I suggested that the NCAA, it's got to get a new site here, and there's a lot, there are plenty of good sites. I suggest the Palestra. You suggest South Carolina. Um, why Why do you think South Carolina should be the spot where the NCAA should go to? I think it, it, it makes a lot of sense, and here's why. Um, obviously, this removing the NCAA tournament from North Carolina is rooted in we don't feel like you're on the right side of history. We feel like um, we don't want to align ourselves with a state that ha a reward, a state that has a discriminatory law on the books. Beyond that, we want to protect our student athletes. We want to protect uh, their families um, who happen to come into your state. Uh, and so we're we're going to relocate until you get that figured out. Uh, well, South Carolina, famously within the past couple of years, um, did something that allowed it to be eligible to host NCAA events for the first time in a long time. Uh, for a while, that state had been banned uh, from hosting NCAA championships because of the Confederate flag. But I guess it was two summers ago. I want to say July 2000. Was it last summer? Um but yeah, they, they removed the Confederate flag um, from the state house, And by doing so, the NCAA announced uh, that South Carolina can now host NCAA championships again. So if you were to take it and move it to uh, Columbia or Charleston, 
or anywhere in South Carolina, not only would it be a tangible reward for them doing what they did, but but beyond that, it would be a nod, a, a, a nod, a, a bit of a message, not so subtle message to North Carolina. Uh, we're taking your event south to your bordering state, and we're doing that because you're not doing the right thing, and they you know, have done the right thing as it relates um, to, to their state flag. And I just, I think that would be a neat message to send. I, I don't know if it, I don't even know if South Carolina is interested in this, but I do think it would be a neat message to send. All right. So I agree with a lot of that. Um, my counter would be, I, I think South Carolina actually is interested and I will put them as the odds on favorite to land the, the, the replacement spot for a number of reasons. Um, one of them being people have already purchased tickets for the Greensboro regional and those people would still, you know, realistically be able to make the trek if they wanted to just over the border of South Carolina. And it's not just like, you know, driving a couple of miles down the street. It is still it is a hike. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but that might be a, a factor. Plus, South Carolina has a number of options between Columbia, Charleston and Greenville that could be uh, potential sites. I would say that there's no – listen, South Carolina in the future is going to get, I think, NCAA tournament hosting duties. I think that's going to happen. But why not go to a place that hasn't had an allegiance with the Confederate flag? You know, there's no reason why um, you know, them finally doing it doesn't mean that they should have first dibs on. OK, now you're allowed back into the club, so to speak. I like the Palestra because it's i'll admit it's a fully romantic decision it has its logistical hurdles but it has hosted the tournament more times than any other venue except for dayton which is only past it because dayton now has first four hosting duties on an annual basis um this is a special one-time thing and i talked to people connected with the ncaa and normally there is a 10,000 seat minimum requirement to host ncaa tournament games i was told that would not be an issue given the special circumstances here to me it would be a cool thing it would create urgency it would be um honestly the hottest ticket for the ncaa tournament next season no matter what because you might think no the final four would be but in reality you can get a ticket to the final four a lot easier than you could get a ticket at a place like the palestra when you would be a one-time only kind of thing there's nothing wrong with creating uh tremendous demand and it would just be a cool little one-off do i expect it to happen no is the palestra probably going to put its hat in the ring for hosting yes do i think the ncaa will strongly consider it yes but i ultimately don't think it will happen it was just kind of an idea that popped in my head as we were looking at the fallout from this and where we would move it's just there's not there's nothing wrong with taking an idea that's a little outside the box it's a little different it's not a perfect venue but it is you know, the Cathedral of College Hoops. And it would be really cool in the year 2017 if the Palestra hosted a tournament event for the first time in more than three decades. And it would just be a one-time thing. Like, there's no other... You'd have to have another situation in the future, which I don't expect or anticipate on happening, where a venue would lose its hosting abilities at the same time in which there would be so much consternation and debate over house legislation inside of state's borders that they would lose hosting abilities. I just don't think this will happen again. So to me, the Palestra is a cool idea that they that you can turn around quickly the schedule is open 
Nothing wrong with South Carolina. If you want to put it somewhere in Virginia, Maryland, I think that's fine as well. But those sites will have opportunities in the future to host, and I think they, they will host. And so this one is kind of a special occasion, so that's why I stumped for it. I, I'm not against it. Like, I'm not going to – if they move it to the Palestra, I won't go, what are they doing? But there are a lot of logistical problems, as, as several people have pointed out on Twitter. It's smaller than your average uh, uh, hosting site. Um, it would be cool. I'll give you that. Uh, it would be nostalgic, but the NCAA doesn't tend to care about nostalgia. It's why we play Final Fours and Domes. Um, they they tend to care about how many tickets can you possibly sell, and I believe the Palestra seats like nine thousand. Yeah, and and I bet they they'd rather put it in a place where they can potentially sell more than nine thousand. I, I think ultimately that uh, that that's what will do the Palestra in. Uh, more so than than anything else. Um, in terms of South Carolina, uh, I just think it like the NCAA is all about sending messages, and I think that would send. It's a pretty perfectly framed message. This state did the right thing. We're giving your NCAA tournament games to it. Now you do the right thing, and we'll come back to you. I just sort of like the me- I like I like the idea of that column. You know, like That's, I it, that works. But let me throw let me throw a curve at you here because this is actually. Our colleague John Solomon has retweeted someone quoting uh, someone about the Belk Bowl. So the Belk Bowl is one of the more beloved college football bowls every year. It is held. <laughs> is it? it? It really. <laughs> hey, it, it, I swear to God, it is. I'm not just. I'm not just saying. I'm telling you, people love them some Belk Bowl. Who pl- I think they just love the word Belk. Who honestly. played the Belk Bowl last year? I could not tell you, but I'm telling you, there are people that right. that know. Listeners would know. I but anyway, the so point. the the Belk Bowl is played every year. In North Carolina, it's played in Charlotte, and it is uh, all these bowls have conference alliances. So the Belk Bowl has a team from the ACC playing the SEC. And so what's interesting about sending messages is there might be a little bit of hypocrisy going on here because bowls are also a whole different thing. They're run by people not necessarily connected with the NCAA. It's just conferences have agreements to play each other. And right now, the Belk Bowl isn't going to move out of Carolina. It's not going to move out of Charlotte. And so that is an ACC team playing an SEC team in in an event where you might have a little bit of hypocrisy there. I mean, it's going to be where the ACC tournament was supposed to be. Now, granted, this is not an officially formally sponsored event. The ACC doesn't run the ACC and SEC don't run the Belk Bowl. Right. It's the it's it's the uh, powers that be uh, that that run the Belk Bowl, including, you know, the, the big wigs at Belk. So that's just a little interesting. Not that I was expecting it to move, um, but you will have a mixed message there. I just it, that stuff is kind of coming out as we're recording the podcast. I yeah, felt I, I, I guess the the explanation. And look, like, listen, I'm for at this point, I'm for everything moving out of North Carolina to, and, until the the bill is changed. But um, you know, it, the Belk Bowl is is a essentially a private business, and it can choose to do whatever it chooses to do. Um, what you wonder is if this never, if this just remains in law, which I do not think it will. But if it does, for whatever reason, uh, like how far does the ACC go with it? Will they eventually move their headquarters? You know, like who knows? Like, like where is this going to go? But I, I think that's probably a conversation that um, we'll never have. To, like, I don't think John Swafford will ever have to get to the point where he has to seriously consider. Uh, moving the ACC's headquarters because I do believe that this bill will come off the books. But it is amazing. Like, all of this, uh, All-Star Game, gone. NCAA events, gone. ACC events, gone. Countless concerts, gone. Uh, because of a bill 
that was, if you listen to the proponents of it, uh, they wanted to solve a problem that's like was never actually a problem. Like that, like that, that that's that's the amazing thing about this. Like I spent so much time over, over the past couple of days reading um, about HB two and a, all these studies done on it, and and what you find out is that um, there is not a single study that's ever been done on a community with inclusive bathroom policies. In other words, if you're a transgender woman, you can go into the women's restroom uh, regardless of if you were born a man. Uh, in, in, these, in communities with inclusive bathroom policies, there is no study that's ever shown an increase in any kind of physical or sexual assault. It just doesn't like it. It, it doesn't. It's like a boogeyman almost like they, they tricked people into thinking you had to be concerned about all these things like, well, if you have an inclusive bathroom policy, um, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll have a, somebody who was born a man in the women's room and then, oh, my God, or or you'll have men dressing as women so that they can go in the women's room. And what about your little girls? And the, the truth is what you find out is like there, the incidents like there are some incidents of like men dressing like women to gain access to a women's restroom or, or locker room. But they're, they're like a handful. Like it, it's it's statistically uh, invisible. And so uh, the idea that you would cost your state all of these things um, over that is is just remarkable to me. And, and now it's probably going to cost a man um, his job, like his reelection, like he's probably going to lose a reelection in November. And I got a, I got a, because I spent a lot of time on the radio talking about this yesterday, I got an email from a man last night and he, you know, went to the old, I mean, it's all the same talking points, but he says, um, well, you know, I, I know you have two boys, but you don't have any g- girls. You don't have daughters. And if you had daughters, you might understand. Like, what if your daughter, like this wild hypothetical, what if your daughter walked into a women's locker room at the gym and there was a transgender woman in there and the transgender woman took her clothes off and the transgender woman had a penis then like what would like how would you explain that to your daughter and i was like well i guess i would just like explain it to my daughter i don't know the same way i would explain it to you i'd like have a real life conversation but then like it sort of hammered home my point like what are the odds of that happening <laughs> like, 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 w- less than one percent of the American population is transgender, and I was thinking about it, and I, I, I asked this not to be funny, but just like for practical. Pr- I don't even ever remember being in a bathroom with a transgender person. Do you? No, but I that mean, also is kind of the point of it is that you've probably done it and never even noticed. Right? It. You know, and that's the other thing. Like, if Caitlyn Jenner or someone who looked like Caitlyn Jenner, I only use her name because she's the most famous transgender person in the world. Like, it, it causes more. What you find out is that a transgender person going into the bathroom that matches their birth certificate causes more of a commotion than if they just go to the bathroom that they identify with. In other words, uh, a transgender woman walks into the women's restroom, you know, in a dress, high heels, earrings, whatever. Like just it doesn't really nobody really blinks. But a, a, a person in a dress, high heels walking into a men's room. Because on their birth certificate, it says they were born a man. Like, that's what causes the commotion. Beyond that, that's where you get the, 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 the physical harassment, the, the verbal harassment. Um, it's just like all of this is so wild to me. And yet, uh, for whatever reason, the, the, 
the, the, the Republicans in that state that, that passed this bill and are continuing to hold on to it, uh, I, I don't know. It just doesn't I, – it, it, when everybody seeming – every sensible person or educated person not, – not every. I don't want to paint with a broad brush. But like the majority, the overwhelming majority of people and uh, leaders in the – like disagree with you. I, it seems like maybe you just were misguided and it's time to, to take your loss and move on. But they don't seem interested in taking their loss and moving on. Not yet. I, I think that day will come, but it ain't here yet. Yeah, that's why we have elections. I mean, you know, this, that'll be a big uh, month for that state coming up uh, in November. And it will be interesting to see what happens there. And if there's any more fallout sports wise, I mean, this is just undeniably. I know there are people that listen to the podcast that just don't like politics whatsoever. And I get that because, you know what, I'll be honest, for a long time, I wasn't interested in politics. But you get to a certain age where it just it impacts your life on an everyday basis. And you're better off at least having awareness of it. Um, well, like, the other thing is like because. It's been interesting over the past uh, few weeks because we've had two big stories that are, you know, uh, political stories or social issue stories, the Colin Kaepernick protest, and now this one. So you end up talking a lot about um, racial inequality, and you end up talking a lot about, uh, you know, discriminatory bills in the state of North Carolina. And uh, often you'll hear folks, or I do, uh, you know, hey, stick to sports. But, like, that's what's th- – these are sports stories. Like, the Colin Kaepernick story is, by definition, a sports story. This is a sports story. Like, the HB2 bill has become a sports story. So it's been an interesting time to to be somebody who, uh, you know, speaks for two hours every day on the radio because you end up talking uh, uh, not about sports a whole lot but but under the, still under the umbrella of sports stories. And, yeah, like you, I recognize that there are some people who just want to – you know, hear about Duke's front court or, you know, UCLA's uh, incoming point guard. Uh, but but undeniably, the biggest sport that um, the biggest college basketball story this week has been the developments with the NCAA. And uh, and as they relate to, to HB2 in, in the state of North Carolina, like this, this is a sports story. I, I don't uh, like this. Yeah, this is- unquestionably when you I mean, without a doubt, when you now have. Uh, serious major sporting events that are being impacted at this level, and now estimations are coming out that you know moving the ACC championship game could cost the state upward of thirty million dollars. I mean that you can't really overstate how massive that is, um, and how the, it's just I, you would think it's going to affect some some significant change, and uh, yeah, certainly something just you know we'll, we'll keep tracking going forward, and we'll have an update on that uh, on that new site within within a month, so that'll be interesting as well. Um. Uh, I mentioned Duke. They it was reported last night. Uh, our buddy Adrian Wojnarowski reported that uh, they're going to have a pro day. Be the first time ever Mike Shashevsky has done this. They're going to have uh, two uh, next month. One is just like skill work and drills and whatever, and the other one will be, um, you know, a, a, a live scrimmage with uh, officials involved. And of course, John Calipari did this last year at Kentucky. Uh, seems to be sort of the direction these things are going, and with Duke having uh, a legitimate pro prospect at every single position, um, makes sense to me, right? Yeah, basically, <laughs> Kentucky fans are all over this because it's Shashevsky copying Cal. I guess I don't have an issue with it at all because recent Shashevsky does this basically, and he has not yet spoken out about it. But someone will ask him inevitably when he's uh, when he's at a press conference or whatnot, a media day. You know, when you've got 
this many pro prospects and you've got a lot of NBA teams interested. What normally happens because we go, we've been to so many, you know, preseason practices with programs. What normally happens is practices are open. You might have two, four, maybe six scouts on a given day come in school. You know, the coaches say hi. They just come, they watch, you know, talk with coaches about their guys and all that stuff. But Duke's now reached a level here where every team's going to be invested, multiple scouts, and Krzyzewski just doesn't want to have to deal with it on a day-to-day basis. It's just so many guys you've got to see and shake hands with and talk to that he's just saying, you know what, Your scouts can go to every single one of our games, and they will. They will scout every single one of Duke's regular season games, but we're just going to eliminate the riffraff here and open it up for two days, You know, all access with the guys, watch them as much as you want. We'll talk to you as much as you want on these two days. And then otherwise, we're just going to close our practices to this because I don't fault Krzyzewski for it. And especially if you've got a program and a team with at least three legitimate number uh, first round draft picks, it's probably the better way to go because at a certain point, it does just become a little like you're happy to have the attention. Don't get me wrong. But on in terms of him getting his job done, there's no there's no doubt about it. That's just a little bit of a nuisance. And at this point, by the way, Shashevsky knows everyone that he needs to know in terms of basketball influence overall. So he like this isn't going to uh, hurt his standing or his player standing whatsoever. So it is probably the right move. I'm actually a little surprised he hasn't done it prior. Yeah, because Cal, you mentioned, did it last year. He's done it for a few years running now. And there are only a, a handful of programs that could really kind of do this and would f- feel the need to do it. But Duke is absolutely there. This year, we have him as the uh, preseason number one team. To me, the most interesting aspect is is not that they're having a pro day, but that they're going to close all of the practices because that is um, – I, I don't know if it's unprecedented, but I don't, rem- I don't know of any other school that's ever done that. Close practice – close practice of media, sure. Close practice of NBA scouts. And I guarantee you – like, listen, K's reached the point and do whatever he wants, but I promise you John Calipari will be using that against him. Uh, on the recruiting trail, in other words, telling prospects this, um, all I care about is you getting to the NBA. I want NBA people there every day to see you. Um, I'll never lock anybody out of our practice facility. If there's an NBA general manager wants to come see you, he's got access to, 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 to that uh, literally any day of the year. And that's not what's happening at Duke. They want to shut the door. You know, well, what are they, are they trying to hide you from the NBA at Duke? So maybe you stay in school a little longer. Like I can just hear Calipari going down this path. So um, that that was the one thing that sort of stood out to me. And I don't. I, I I'm not sitting here suggesting it's going to cost Mike Shishetsky a recruit somewhere. But trust me, it will be used against him. Yeah, there's probably a lot of validity to that. And uh, hey, man, I, I've said it plenty of times on the podcast and in print. Um, I love that Calipari and Krzyzewski just have this kind of muted rivalry, but it's obviously really, really good for the sport when both of those guys are able to win and recruit at such a high level that if they've got to take you know even vague shots against each other and Calipari has not shied away from that, even if he'll deny it publicly when asked specifically about it, um, college basketball could certainly use a little more of that at the highest level. Those two staffs, um, because they're now recruiting – um, a level above everybody else. I mean, it's it's. I think for the past three years now, the the number one and number two ranked recruiting classes in the country have been Duke, yep. Kentucky in some order. Uh, they're banging heads on a lot of kids, and uh, yeah, those two staffs. There is, uh, they're not best friends. <laughs> we could put it that which way, which is fine, by the way. Which by is the fine, college basketball in general, the coaches. It's a very friendly community, which is great. A lot of these guys support each other. It's great, but it is absolutely fine to have some rivalries and some guys that don't like each other. It's better for sport. Yeah, I don't mind it at all. And uh, uh, fun story, uh, not fun. I should rephrase. Uh, but 
because it's like a, a battery charge. So I don't know that it's fun, but it funny maybe. Uh, Miami freshman uh, Dewan Huell, who yeah. is a McDonald's All American, consensus top thirty national recruit, uh, was the highest ranked player in Miami's uh, four player class that was ranked, I think, top fifteen nationally by twenty four seven Sports. Uh, arrested last night. After he went to his ex-girlfriend's, this is all according uh, to a police report, um, innocent till proven guilty and all that, but he goes to his ex-girlfriend's dorm, uh, finds her in a closet with a man, drags the man out uh, of the dorm, causes bruises and scratches on the man's uh, neck and chest, um, and he was arrested for battery because you're not allowed to, to do that. Even if you're upset, I uh, was told that there were no punches thrown. So uh, this is not like uh, the most serious thing in the world. Uh, my guess is it'll probably go away in some form. But um, you know this this uh, this freshman at Miami is a uh, he's six foot eleven. Like I, I I feel like if I was gonna try to get with somebody's girl, I would pick somebody a little closer to my size. I would never mess around with a guy's girlfriend who's six foot eleven. I'm trying to see you in a fight with a six foot eleven dude, and it's just not going well. Like for what? You, like what would I do? Like like how? Like how brave do you have to be to get into the, to go into the dorm room, of a girl whose ex boyfriend is six foot eleven and still clearly tied up, uh, 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 tied up to her, um, tied to her emotionally. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and by brave I mean dumb. Like I just leave that girl alone. Well, let's let's look at the elements here. I mean, first of all, this is a Miami freshman, and it's an ex-girlfriend situation. So already an ex-girlfriend. Where where are we on the calendar, GP, right now? It, We're on the, September fourteenth. The police, okay. yeah, police report says it was his ex-girlfriend. So yeah, like, feel, like I'm guessing here, but probably broke up recently. Yeah, but okay. So do we have you know a summer fling thing? Do we have a high school sweetheart thing? Do we have a, a a pair of young lovers who thought they could actually make the high school to college transition work? Which, by the way, has like a point oh five success rate all time in the history of human history. Okay, so didn't, that's not, didn't didn't work out for me. It didn't work out for me either. So it's it's not something that you can pull off. Or so that that just in general the timeline I'm intrigued by. Or was this a, we met on orientation, we're boyfriend girlfriend for about two weeks, and and then it didn't work out and. Uh, this Miami player had uh, impressions of a relationship that weren't exactly there. So that's just the timeline of this is a little interesting. Obviously, you don't want to have this, but we are, I mean, admittedly, September, it's just a time where I just expect anywhere from three to six arrest stories in college <laughs> basketball. It just happens, man. You, you just can't. There are too many teams. There's too much inventory. Guys are going to get arrested for stupid things. It happens every single year. Would like to have it not happen, obviously. Uh, but, you know, I, we'll see if he's uh, suspended or not. But Miami, that's a team that loses some big pieces, but I would think is still going to be pretty relevant this year. Good coaching staff. Larinaga does a really good job there. But uh, you hope this is the only hiccup. Have you ever walked in on a girl you thought was uh, loyal to you, not being loyal to you? I have not. So, no, I have. I mean, we can get personal here. I mean, I have been cheated on before. Of course. But I, I think everybody's been cheated on. So, uh, well, I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, I've never cheated on anyone else. But, yeah, um, I haven't cheated on, but I've never caught anyone in the act. I have friends who have have indeed uh, walked in, and that's just, I mean, that's just got to be. That's got to be one of the worst things ever, honestly. Um, I never, by the way. Yeah, I never uh, walked in on, like, the act, but I did, there was one time I was, at a, I was at a party. I was probably early 20s. And I was at a party with this girl who, 
like we'd been basically dating for like nine months. Like I, I don't I don't know that I ever introduced her to my parents as my girlfriend, but like she was like a girl who was around all the time. Like you know was I follow? Yeah, like she was she was around all the time, and uh, so we went to a party, and suddenly I can't find her anywhere at the party, and uh, you know she's not out. There's like sort of an indoor outdoor party. You know, uh, summertime, nice weather. You know, bonfire, all that stuff. I can't find her anywhere. So I just start walking around the house inside. I walk into a room upstairs, just sort of a random off-to-the-side room, and she's in the room just talking to some guy, right? I mean, she, they're just talking. Like, I didn't walk in or anything, but it was weird. Like, why is she up there talking to this guy? And then she's like, oh, hey, I, you know, she introduced me to the guy and whatever, and I shook his hand, and that was the end of it. Big guy, right? He was a bot, like, he was literally a bodybuilder. Like, that's what, that's what he, like, he, like, the next weekend he probably had to go, like, compete in bodybuilding, right? So, uh, so anyway. I, you know, and that was that, and then we left the party a little later. I never thought anything more about it. The following weekend, we were supposed to go to her sister's birthday party. We were supposed to go out with her sister for her sister's birthday or something. And so uh, she canceled on me last minute, like on that Friday afternoon. She's like, hey, you know, I think we're just going to make it a girls' night out tonight, and so no guys are going, so I just wanted to let you know. And I was like, that's cool, like whatever, have a good time. So I, I end up going out with some of my buddies to downtown pre cell phone era, by the way. Yes, definitely pre cell phone era. And I end up going out with some buddies and we're in one of the bars on bill street. And my friend goes, uh, Hey man, come outside for a second. And I said, why? What's up? He goes, just come outside. I want you to see something. And I said, okay. So I walk outside, look across to another bar. Like you could see in the window and it's her with that same dude from the party the, the week before that she'd snuck off upstairs with. She's with him. Just such a deflating moment. Broke my heart. Of all the bars and all of Beale Street, and there did, she is. Yeah, it broke my heart. But I didn't try to fight the guy. Like he's big. I wasn't trying to fight anybody. He was, he was like, he wasn't six foot eleven, but he was a bodybuilder. So like, I just sort of like nodded and like walked away. Like I'm not trying to get my ass whipped over, <laughs> over. You. I mean, I like you and all, but like I'm not trying to fight for you, especially not that guy. No, not at all. <laughs> That's yeah. Listen, it's part of growing up. The heartbreak and the. Uh... And just all of it, man. That's yeah. These some dark times. So hopefully the Miami freshman, like he'll he'll work through it, right? Whatever, uh, you know. Hopefully what, so. Yeah. Hopefully that's the uh, the only other incident. Um, real quick. So, um, shout out to Devin Downey. I don't know how we talked about <laughs> South Carolina. We we talked about South Carolina and we didn't even transition to a shout out there. Um, Can so. you imagine them moving the NCAA tournament games from North Carolina to South Carolina? And placing them in the house that Devin Downey built. I know, but the only thing is, like, is his number going to be in the rafters at that point? It should be, but it probably won't be. That's the unfortunate part. But, uh, but I know that's uh, that's just something that maybe, maybe, maybe it happens if they move it to South Carolina right there before the first game tips off at noon, yes, twelve fifteen, whatever. You actually have a ceremony. Honoring Devin Downey and you retire. And right. then, and then after the national championship game, when they make one shining moment, they can include the Devin Downey jersey retirement ceremony. That's really how you started off, like with the drums and stuff yeah. at the start of one shining moment. It's just, it's just a pan of the Downey number being raised into the rafters. Why hasn't somebody on? Uh, why hasn't a listener of the On College Basketball Podcast made us a one shining moment tribute to Devin Downey yet? Shouldn't we have that? Give it. Give it time. I think it is possible. <laughs> By the way, I'm going to shout out my buddy TJ real quick. So I went to a wedding last week in Vermont, and uh, I had people coming up to me. Now, these are some people I know, some people I 
kind of know through a friend of a friend or whatever, you know how weddings go. And I just had a number of them, man, that they just love the podcast. They listen to it. And when we record this podcast, like I never think about who is or isn't listening because it's just you and I talking. But it was pretty cool to just go to this wedding and uh, and have plenty of people just mentioning how, how they listen. They enjoy it. They like how we talk. Like a couple of people specifically mentioned, they're like, I like how you keep it like 80% college hoops, but then you guys will veer off into, you know, the times that you were cheated on by your girl, <laughs> right. stuff like that. So I just wanted to give a shout out to that. That was just a, a kind of cool thing. Um, so we always do appreciate that. Um, if you'll allow me just to quickly segue, because I said I would mention this on the podcast sure. uh, before we wrap up. So Jim Carr is an assistant at Rhode Island under Dan Hurley. Really good guy. He lost a son five years ago. Um, to it basically was unexpected um he, his son battled seizures but he by no means thought it was going to cut his son's life short and uh, jim actually told me on the record and kind of publicly for the first time is disclosed that it was uh they sued for medical malpractice uh there was uh, a medical error that was made and um you know there was a lot of shock as uh with his son's death and he in, endured multiple cardiac arrests and all this stuff I only bring that up because on Friday at Rhode Island, um, Carr is holding uh, another coach's clinic. He does this annually, and the names he has gotten to speak at this thing are unreal. I mean, over the years, uh, Calipari, Self, Patino, Donovan, Larry Brown, Eric Spolstra, Hubie Brown, Jeff Van Gundy helped actually start the whole thing and kind of put the bug in Carr's ear. Um He's got uh, Calhoun and Brad Stevens doing it this year. He told me that Brad Stevens was supposed to do it the year that he took the Celtics job, and he was actually waiting for Stevens to get back to him on, I guess it would have been like July 2nd or July 3rd, and that was the day that he got the job. And so Stevens ended up not being able to speak that year, and so he's coming uh, down to Rhode Island on Friday. Then there's another event in Jersey um, the following week, and Greg Marshall's going to speak at that. Brad Underwood's going to speak at that. Uh, Pete Carrill, legendary Princeton coach, is going to speak at that. So it's open. If there are any coaches at any level that listen to this podcast, you, there are walk-up registrations. I think it's like 100 or 125 bucks. All the proceeds directly go to uh, helping basically all sorts of students and young children in need in various forms, but they do put a certain emphasis on those battling seizures and epilepsies as well. It's really become one of the more highly respected, successful annual charity events in college basketball but Jim and all the coaches that help him with this are, are trying to even to get the word out just beyond college hoop circles so you know I ended up writing a story on it and he was very emotional on the phone with me it's 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 a uh, it's a powerful thing and he made a great point that I hadn't considered as we were talking it out you know this is done at a time like Jim talked to me uh, this week from the middle of New York on a recruiting trip in like a lonely hotel room. He's by himself. A lot of coaches are on the road doing in-home visits at this time of year. Sure. And, the, and the camp is always in September. So you have coaches literally giving up a recruiting day, which for a lot of these big-time coaches, like that's sig seriously significant. Like to give up an in-home recruiting day is a big-time thing. And for the NBA guys that have done it, there have been plenty of them. You know, we're about 10 days out from training camp starting. So there's some urgency there. So um, I did tell him I'd mention it on the podcast. It's a, it's just, it's a really positive thing. And he lost his son in, in a totally shocking, unexpected way. I honestly, like, as he's talking to me about it, you know, can't help but think about my own son oh, and yeah. just uh, how it would rock my world if that happened like that. So it's, uh, it's a really positive event. 
And uh, yeah, any and all coaches are are invited to go. And you listen to Brad speak; they run drills like it's kind of like an old school kind of thing. Like Brad will talk, Brad will talk for thirty minutes about the pick and roll offense and and get into the details and nuances of that. And it's kind of like a total college hoops uh, and basketball junkie kind of thing. I don't know if you've ever been to like a, a, a one of these types of of clinics, but um, I mean they really are terrific. I've I've been to Billy Donovan's, the one that Billy, well, uh, uh, Larry Shiat and Billy would host it down in at Florida when Larry was on staff down there, and I think they're moving it back to Florida. Um, but but um, I, I I just attended it sometimes. I I spoke at it. I think I spoke at it one year, the same year like Brad Stevens was also there, and it is amazing to like listen to some of the very best in the sport like break down. Um, I mean, detail, detail, detail of how they do certain things and how they teach certain things. Like if you are a basketball junkie or just somebody interested in um, uh, in, in understanding the game at a different level, seeing things that you've never seen before, uh, I can't recommend these types of things uh, enough. And, yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know, I, I think Braden was about the same age as my younger son, Oliver, is right now when he passed, and I I cannot imagine. I mean, we, I think people who, you know, have listened to the podcast or follow me on Twitter or Facebook or whatever know that uh, Kelly and I had a stillborn child earlier this year, and that is a hell of a deal. Like you know, you 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 deliver, you actually deliver a baby. You leave the hospital, you know, two days later, and you go to, straight to a funeral home. Like that's I that that I, I don't wish that on anybody. I hope like, ugh. but. Um, that is obviously different than, than like having a child for two and a half years and then not having that child anymore. And, um, it is, uh, a tragic thing that I, I wish, uh, Jim never had to go through, but I, I do think it is awesome that he has uh, taken that and, and tried to use it as an inspiration to, to do something good and maybe help other families who, uh, are at risk of going through uh, a similar thing. And I will tell you, when Kelly and I went through that earlier this year, um, I-, I can't tell you how many coaches reached out, like uh, more than I could count. Uh, really, really kind. But uh, one of the guys who reached out consistently and and checked in over and over again was Jim because he had a, uh, a better understanding than most of, of, of what that's like. Um, and uh, I was always appreciative of him for, to, for being willing to – to, to listen or advise or just send a simple text that said, how you doing? And so um, I'm glad you mentioned the clinic on the, on the podcast because uh, uh, it's something worthy of exposure. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. So um, we'll see what happens here in the next week, man. I mean, we're getting closer to preseason stuff too. We're starting to look into that as well in terms of just direct sports stuff. Um, you know, teams will start practicing soon enough and we're, uh, we're really starting to get into it, so I'm, I'm definitely getting eager. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I love me some football, but usually when football gets here, that's when the itch starts really coming for, uh, for college hoops and all that. So slowly but surely, we're getting there. October's right around the bend, and we should have uh, plenty of uh, college hoop content, uh, legitimate stuff to talk about as well. Remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That is the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So uh, please go do that. Thank you, as always, for listening, and we will talk again next week. Till then, take care.